the volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Chris Mannix. All right, Dan Raphael is here, longtime boxing writer. His substack is Fight Freaks Unite. You can subscribe on his Twitter account, at Dan Raphael 1. Facebook, Instagram, he's all over the place. Subscribe. It is a terrific newsletter that you can read every single day. What's up, Dan? Hey, Chris. Good to be on with you again, as always. You know, I'm a friend of the pod. You are a friend of the pod, a true friend of the pod. And this is going to be the first pod, Dan, where I'm opening it with a little bit of excitement, like a little little positivity. Last couple of weeks, I've been pretty down, you know, hosting this podcast for all the reasons that boxing pisses you off. This week, I'm mildly enthused. Um, We are going to get a decent fight involving Terrence Crawford. This after uh, Top Rank and PBC made a deal to see top rank to see Crawford rather and Sean Porter fight for Crawford's welterweight title on November 20th. This is easily, I think, the biggest fight of Terrence Crawford's career, bigger than Victor Pustall, bigger than any of the fights he had at 135. Um, I- I'm I'm excited about this. November 20th, Las Vegas. Uh, I'm hoping to be there. I, I mean, I-, I think it's a I think it's an excellent fight for Terrence Crawford. What do you think? Couldn't agree with with more. I mean, you said everything exactly what I think. Uh, it is the biggest fight of Terrence Crawford's career. He's had a great career and he's beaten, you know, some good opponents and he's won several titles. He was undisputed at 140. I uh, won the title at 135 and also at 147 has made numerous defenses. But Terrence Crawford knows he'll be the first to admit that he's lacked that true elite opponent, uh, frankly, in any of those weight classes. And Sean Porter uh, is is a guy that has fought everybody. He's got uh, one of the best resumes in in the sport in terms of the competition he's faced. Now, he's lost a couple of fights, fine. But if you take a look at, uh, particularly in the welterweight division, such a such a deep weight class, he's fought basically everybody. If you, if you remove Pacquiao from uh, from the equation, he's fought Errol Spence in a very close fight. He's fought Danny Garcia. He's fought Keith Thurman. He's fought Ordenis Bugas. Uh, you know, and even he's fought guys like Pauli Malignaggi and Devin Alexander and certainly the, the 
the first loss of his career against Kell Brook in a close fight. Now he's fighting Terrence Crawford. There's nobody uh, other than Pacquiao that has that that kind of list of opponents uh, on their rec- on their resume in the welterweight division. And uh, Sean Porter is a guy that has proven time and again for a number of years that he is not afraid to fight anybody, win or lose. Um, you know, he makes good money. He makes good fights. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, if we couldn't get Crawford uh, to, against uh, Errol Spence, you know, I'll take Terrence Crawford against Sean Porter. It's, it's uh, you know, if you have to take a uh, supposed replacement fight, let's say. I mean, not that that fight between him and Errol was ever made, but this is the next best thing. I, I'm, I'm super excited for it. It's a real good matchup, in my opinion. Yeah, and even when Porter has lost, it's been by some of the narrowest of margins, sure. whether it was to yeah. Thurman or to Errol Spence. So he is a legitimate top-flight 147-pounder who is going to press Crawford in ways he's never been pressed before. And I think we're really going to see what Terrence Crawford is made of in a fight like this. But you know what my, my biggest takeaway from this fight being made, Dan? Not Crawford fighting Porter, not top rank and PBC working together, but isn't this how sanctioning bodies should work? Shouldn't they be uh, proponents, advocates, conduits, whatever word you want to use, to making big fights? I mean, we saw the WBO do this, and it forced top rank and PBC to come to the table and cut a deal to make this fight. We're seeing uh, it potentially happen with Archer Betterbiev and Marcus Brown. We're seeing, in a, a le- it's a lesser fight, but I think still a good one. Roger Gutierrez, Chris Colbert, a four-man box off at 147 for the WBA welterweight title. I don't know how long it's going to last, Dan, but to me, this is exactly how sanctioning bodies should work. They have the power to be facilitators for big fights if they would only exercise it in the way we're seeing it happen this month. You're, again, we, we, we don't always agree, but we agree on this also. Uh, <laughs> The WBO uh, kind of took some folks by surprise when they ordered the fight between uh, Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter, and I was happy that they did. And, you know, even if Top Rank and and uh, TGB Promotions and PBC hadn't have come to the table and made a deal, it would have gone to a purse bid. And the fight probably would have happened because Terrence Crawford was not about to vacate his title or allow himself to be stripped of something that is important to him and that he's worked hard for and then, frankly, helps get him get higher uh, purses for his events so that fight was always going to take place be it in the purse bid form or in terms of the two sides making a deal they made the deal it's going to be a big event in my opinion a terrific fight you mentioned some of those other matches those are wba fights and uh since they took uh what i consider to be a necessary step to strip um or at least downgrade guys from interim champions i didn't necessarily think they had to strip all the interim champions i felt like they could just order them to fight uh the number one guys or the or the second tier title holders so be it but in the case of a fight you mentioned like colbert and gutierrez real good matchup between you know maybe not the most popular or well-known guys but guys that make pretty good fights and have some talent and you know they're they're gonna have to fight each other it's gonna be the probably the best uh opponent of each of their careers in my mind um you know if better bf against marcus brown takes place that's a fight that is a wbc fight that's headed to a purse bid most likely unless pbc and, uh, and top rank make a deal. Another, you know, good matchup. I thought it was kind of funny when uh, when uh, that fight was, that, that purse bid was supposed to take place this coming Friday and top rank and PBC had spent all this time hashing out the details to get the uh, Porter and uh, Crawford fight done. And so I asked them, I said, hey guys, what about this fight? And basically the response to me from, from uh, both sides was, you know, well, we kind of forgot about it, <laughs> the deadline, because we were so busy getting the other fight done. So they went to the WBC. They asked for the extension. They were given the extension. And, you know, hopefully they can make a deal. Otherwise, once again, the fight will go to a purse bid. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll see another pretty solid matchup uh, in the light heavyweight division and so on and so forth. And, and that's going to happen with a lot of these other WBA uh, former interim champions who are now put in the position of a mandatory challenger and or order to fight eliminator. So in terms of the sanctioning bodies, how they should work, this is how they should work. Now, if, if only uh, some of the, the organization would order some other similar fights, I wish that the WBC would order the fight between Tiafimo Lopez and Devin Haney. You know, let's get it on. I mean, there's a question about that belt because of their their um, uh, making uh, Lomachenko the franchise champion. And then, of course, Tiafimo beat him to win that title. Haney got upgraded to the from the interim to the full title. And they've been yapping back and forth. There's one way to settle it, and that's to fight each other. But unless uh, an order is made, I just don't see that fight happening. So the sanctioning bodies have done good, done well in this situation that we're talking about. They could do better.
They, they could, but I agree with you 100% on Haney against Lopez. I mean, why the WBC wouldn't immediately order that after Lopez fights Cambosis is beyond me. They never intended for Lopez to be the franchise champion. Why, why do you want that belt around his waist? That was Vasily Lomachenko's title. So if Lopez gets through Cambosis, why not immediately say, Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez, uh, negotiate or go to purse bid? Either way, if you're Teofimo Lopez or Devin Haney, you win. If you if you cut a deal, it's probably going to be a good one. If it goes to purse bid, Teofimo Lopez knows purse bids work. They get you paid a big amount of money. So if you go to purse bid, maybe Triller comes back wanting to have a relationship with you. Maybe Eddie Hearn steps up wanting a big fight for Devin Haney on zone. Maybe Top Rank believes that's a big fight on pay-per-view. I, I don't get it. I don't get why both those guys wouldn't push the WBC to order it. And I don't get even more why the WBC wouldn't immediately order it. I agree with that also in terms of the Lopez and top rank side. The only flying that women might be that they hope to make a rematch between Tiafimo Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko, which, by the way, is, is a terrific matchup also. And I think the rematch should happen. Uh, but believe me, if you want to tell me it's going to be Tiafimo against Lomachenko too, terrific. It's going to be uh, nah, Tiafimo. Really, do you really care? Like, I, I, I'll hold on, hold on. I'll, 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 let you, I'll let you answer. But I'll let you answer. But like, do, I don't care about Tiafimo Lomachenko too. I just don't. Like, it I was. Do. I do. It, there wasn't, but there are so many better matchups out there for. No, but it's like, but it's it's not an unreasonable fight because of the fact that Lomachenko, you know, I'm not saying you know people say it's an excuse. It's just he had shoulder surgery on a damaged shoulder after the fight, and even with a messed up shoulder, he still was coming on super strong in the late part of the fight. And and yes, he lost, you know, an eight four maybe seven five kind of fight, but you know the caliber of career that Lomachenko has had and things he has done, he deserves a rematch. And if they make the rematch, I'm fine with it. But I was going to say also, if they don't make the rematch and instead it was an order of fighting uh, or making him fight between Lopez and Haney, I'm good for that also. Now, Lopez, of course, uh, is sort of put to kibosh on wanting to do the the uh, the rematch. He, you know, he first said no. His father went on uh, the ESPN broadcast after Lomachenko made his comeback against Nakatani and scored a spectacular win, you know, in a tremendous performance and said, yeah, we'll do the rematch with stipulations, which is we have to have are mandatory against Cambosis, and then it has to be the next fight after that. That was no problem on the Lomachenko side. Uh, and then Tiafimo went on, Tiafimo Jr., the, the champion, he went on uh, the broadcast uh, last week when Oscar Valdez was in his title defense and, and, and basically said, no, I'm not doing that. He has eyes on moving up to 140 uh, in his mind to challenge the undisputed champion, Josh Taylor. But, you know, Josh is fighting on December 18th. Um, it's no guarantee that he wins that fight and it's no guarantee. Even if he does it, they'll be able to put that match together. Even if they're with the same promoters, the point is uh, the sanctioning bodies can order those fights and whatever happens, happens. I mean, make the order. And if it doesn't happen, it's not on the sanctioning body. It's on, on the, the fighters or their camps. Why a match uh, does or does not happen. Plenty of times sanctioning bodies order a fight that doesn't end up happening, but you can't blame the sanctioning body. No, uh, no, you can't, but you, you, you care more about, Lomachenko Lopez and I do. I just don't care. I doesn't, That's fair. It, it, it does nothing for me, especially when, I mean, Devin Haney's, when Devin Haney's lurking out there. Like, Devin Haney is coming off the biggest win of his career, beating Jorge Linares in a very competitive fight, a very compelling fight. The time for me, the time to me is now to make a fight between those guys, which would, as you alluded to, um, settle, up, settle the differences, settle whatever dispute there may be about whether there's an undisputed champion at 135 pounds. That is an excellent fight. And I think a much more appealing fight to me anyway, than Lomachenko Lopez too. I don't think it's unreasonable for you to have that position, but I don't think it's unreasonable for me to have my position. And I'm sure there's lots of boxing fans that agree with you and many that will also agree with me. The point is they're both good matchups. They both would be good for the sport and uh, you know, flip a coin. I'll take either one of them, frankly. Yeah. No, I mean, you really you can't go terribly wrong with either one. I just uh, Lopez won convincingly, and I get the shoulder injury to Lomachenko, all that. But Lomachenko, he had his chances in the first six rounds to actually fight. He didn't, and you have to kind of own that if you're uh, Lomachenko. All right, I I want to take it a step further though with the sanctioning bodies to remind people that sanctioning bodies can order champion versus champion. They can do it like they don't traditionally put champions in their rankings of other sanctioning bodies, but they can, and we've seen some high-profile examples of that. Top of my head, WBC trying to make Adonis Stevenson against Sergey Kovalev many years ago. Like, as we sit here, Dan, 
There is no reason the WBC can't order Jamal Charlo against Demetrius Andrade. There's no reason that they can't do it. And again, why they wouldn't do it, I don't understand. I mean, Jamal Charlo came off a performance against Juan Montiel that nobody cared about. They didn't care. (laughs) Are you really going to want to be part of another fight just like that? I mean, there's no opponents out there for Jamal Charlo at 160 right now. He's not going to fight David Benavidez. We know that at this point. Demetrius Andrade, same thing. He fought Liam Williams in the afternoon in the U.S. He's been trying to get a big fight. If he doesn't get one, he'll come back against somebody he'll be a heavy favorite against. The WBC's come under fire for very good reasons as of late. This could be the way to work their way back into the good graces of boxing fans. Order fights involving other champions and start with Demetrius Andrade against Jamal Charles. Let's see once and for all who is ducking who in that matchup. A couple of things about that. Number one, the WBC, to my recollection, is the only sanctioning body that has taken that measure to place another champion uh, from a different organization in its ratings and order the fight. You mentioned the higher, probably the highest profile example of that being uh, the fight that never happened between uh, Donna Stevenson and Kovalev. The other organizations have not done that. But what has to occur in the case of what happened with Kovalev and Stevenson, my memory is correct. The Kovalev camp asked for the WBC to do that. And they said, okay, so for them to order a Charlotte Andre fight, I think to get the ball rolling, the onus, frankly, would be on the Andre camp for somebody from his team, whether it's Eddie Hearn, the promoter, or Ed Ferris, the manager, or you know his father, uh, Paul Andre, who was also his trainer, whoever it is, should, should contact or have some communication or dialogue with the WBC and asking them to do that. That's got to get the ball rolling. The WBC is not just going to unilaterally order the champion from another organization to fight its champion and put it in, in their ratings. If that champion comes to them and asks for it, I think they would strongly consider it. You know, I know Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC, very well. Uh, I believe that he would be open to those types of um, discussions and requests from champions who want to fight for his organization also, in addition to the organization that they fight for presently. So if Andre's team is serious, they could take that step by having a dialogue with the WBC and explaining their their desires for the fight and asking them to order, you know, to place them in the ratings and to you order think that. That's, do you think that's really necessary, though, Dan? Like, I mean, yes, it, is, it is necessary. Do, you got to follow. There's got to like, be a protocol. There's got to be a Mauricio, protocol. Mauricio doesn't have his head in the sand here. Like, he knows that Demetrius Andrade wants to fight Jamal Charlo. He's been speaking on it on every platform that he has been on. Well, I they had the one platform they haven't spoke on is go to the WBC and ask for it. Ask for it. That'll get the ball rolling. You and I can sit here and yammer about it, and, and we can say that they, oh, they must realize that he wants to fight, and fans can can uh, tweet about it. But until there's something official, it's still a business. There are still rules to follow. There's still protocols. Have somebody from Demetrius's camp contact the WBC and say, we would like this to happen and see what happens. you got to get the ball rolling in an official way. You know, you and I yapping about it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. And the same goes for guys who tweet or, or it, it's not just going to suddenly come into Mauricio's mind. He's got a thousand other issues to deal with. Uh, let it be knows one, this one. This let it be one about. of the things on his desk. Let it be one of the things on his desk. Okay. So that again, the onus is on the boxer that wants the big fight, not on the sanctioning body. If he's already rated fine, but that's not the case. And so I'm not saying you're wrong about we will, that they could do the fight, but it, the, the onus is on the, the WBO champion, Demetrius Andre to, to, to put that into uh, their minds and get the ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. I think it's letting the WBC off the hook a bit. No, it's not letting make, them off the hook at all. If you have to make the like effort, I mean, I know he's got effort. a lot of things. On, I know he's got. A, I mean, what? So, like an email to Mauricio would would resolve that. Like that's by the I'm way, not Mauricio would resolve that. But you have to have have the promoter or the manager of Demetrius contact Mauricio. Mauricio, we are representing the WBO winaway champion Demetrius Andre. You know. We, we we would like to have a fight with your champion, Charlo. You know, we know you've done this type of thing in the past. You know, we, we hereby request for you to place us in the ratings and order the fight. You got to do, so, I mean, do it officially. Okay, okay. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. But, I mean, isn't the reverse also true? Like, hey, wouldn't Mauricio say, hey, maybe Demetrius wants to fight Charlo. Maybe we can stop having these dog shit fights with our middleweight champion, one of the most prestigious divisions in all of boxing? Look, they could do the same thing. I mean, you got to have a featherweight champion, Gary Russell, that fights once every six, you know, every once a year uh, and talks about fighting, you know, more than that, but only gets in the ring once. They could order 
uh, uh, another fight against a big name. And when he does fight, it's against a mandatory. But again, the onus is on sometimes on the champion. He's fulfilled his mandatories. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm big on protocol. You know, the onus is on them, not on the, not on the organization. Uh, look, and you know me, Chris, a long time. I can rip an organization as good as anybody. Okay. I don't think the WBC deserves to be ripped because they're not ordering a champion from another uh, organization to fight their guy. By the way, the WBO, the IBF, and the WBA, again, to my recollection, have never ordered a champion from another organization to fight uh, a champion from a rival organization. So at least insane. the WBC, like, they'll which, do it. I, I, I agree. It's, it's insane for all these sanctioning bodies to not have done. I understand there's a reason for not putting champions in your rankings. You want to give non-champions opportunities to become champions. I get that. But I don't know why these sanctioning bodies wouldn't be clamoring to be involved in big fights because their sanctioning fee goes up in bigger fights, Dan. They make more money. They have better exposure. Like why they wouldn't be proactive in trying to make these fights happen is beyond me. I'll tell you what, you may be right. Maybe there should be a, a formal process. But if we get to the last couple of months of this calendar year and it's Jamal Charlo versus somebody versus Fighter X who's a 101 underdog and Demetrius Andrade versus Fighter Y who's a 101 underdog, I'm going to lose my mind. And I'll probably do it like on social media. Like and I'm sure going to do it on the air. I'm sure going to, like I, I've done this, I already napalmed the WBA once. Like I have no problem, you know, going after these people because they are, this is what's wrong with boxing. Boxing absolutely can be a great sport. It can have matchups people are dying for, but it gets in its own way far too often. That's just, that's just how I'm feeling up this. All right. Listen, you, One, you and I, just real quick, you and I agree on that. We just have a slight difference of opinion on the manner in which it should occur. Right. Correct. Correct. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The biggest game this Sunday is Chiefs versus Ravens, and FanDuel Sportsbook is about to make it even bigger because FanDuel is giving new customers 30 to 1 odds on either team to win. That means you can end the weekend right by winning $150 on a $5 bet. Now, me, I never bet against Patrick Mahomes, so I am taking the Chiefs and the over in this game. Offers like this are just one of the many reasons I love betting the NFL on FanDuel. It is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure, and it has fast payouts. FanDuel is sports betting made simple, and they're always hooking you up with great offers. Plus, when you win, you'll get paid in as little as 24 hours. See for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Just sign up with promo code BOXING this Sunday Before the Chiefs take on the Ravens, you could win $150 on a $5 bet. Remember to use promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. That's promo code BOXING exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. All right, from real boxing to a farce. (laughs) Last weekend, Evander Holyfield, Uh... 58 years old, in the ring against Vitor Belfort. And this was, if it's possible to sink below the bar that I had for this fight. I wouldn't call it a fight. It was an exhibition. If it was possible to sink below that bar, it did. Vitor Belfort, at 44 years old, comes out, blitzes Holyfield. The referee stops the fight after Holyfield is knocked down once. I would have stopped it right after the knockdown, but then stops it after Belfort comes in and just blasts away. This is after we saw Anderson Silva knock out Tito Ortiz in the first round of their fight. The Florida Commission sanctioned all of it. Triller promoted it a little bit uh, misleadingly, if you ask you and me. Uh, Of all the things that were embarrassing, Dan, about that show, what stands out to you the most? I mean, there's so many things to choose from, but I have to say, the thing that's most... It's a buffet of embarrassing. It is a buffet of embarrassment. The most embarrassing, pathetic, disgusting, uh, reprehensible, pick pick an adjective thing that occurred is that Triller outright lied to the public, deceived the public on purpose with impunity. Let me repeat, Triller lied and deceived the public on purpose with impunity by proclaiming, marketing, promoting, and bullshitting that these were actual official sanctioned fights when they were in fact exhibitions. I was writing about that uh, ahead of the fight certainly about the Holyfield and Belfort fight. Now, Anderson Silva against Tito Ortiz, originally, when this when this card was supposed to be De La Hoya-Belfort, which was a sanctioned as an official fight in California, Silva-Ortiz was sanctioned as an actual fight. The David Hay fight against Joe Fournier, which was on the undercard, the California Commission would not sanction as an official fight, but as an exhibition. When they moved the event to Florida because Oscar had COVID and fell out of the fight, and they put Evander Holyfield in to the match. California would not sanction that fight to their credit as an exhibition or as an official fight. So on, uh, they went to Florida, which is venue shopping, which should not be allowed in my opinion. Uh, in any event, it went to Florida and Holyfield Belfort was not, uh, it wasn't that the Florida commission wouldn't approve it. They probably would have, as they said in their statement, but the, the Holyfield camp, their contract with the venue, with Triller called for it to be an exhibition. The, the Ortiz and Silva fight turned out to be an exhibition. I thought it would still be an official fight also because California had approved it. They tried to say that the, the Hay fight against Fournier was now an official fight, but in reality, it also was only an exhibition. So the, the, the number of lies and just dirty pool associated with that fight was just – I mean, I've seen a lot of bad stuff in, in my time of covering boxing. That was about as bad as it gets in terms of just outright lies from promoters about a number of different topics. You know, I suspect, I don't have proof that, that they wanted to make it look like a real fight to engender gambling on the fight. I mean, but let me ask you a question. If you thought this was a real fight and you went and made a wager uh, on any number of legal betting websites that carried action on the event, and then you found out it was a, a, an exhibition, wouldn't you be ticked off? I, I would. Now, I don't, I don't bet on fights, but if I did and I, and I thought it was a real fight and it turned out to be uh, an exhibition, I'd be pretty ticked off. So the way that they went about that, I felt was horrible. Now, in terms of the actual event that occurred on September 11th, uh, you know, the, the, the Fournier thing, they went through the motions. David actually looked decent 
coming back after a long layoff, but he was fighting his friend. I felt like he carried him. I felt like if he wanted to, he dropped him in the first round with a jab. If he wanted to get him out of there, it'll last maybe 30 more seconds or maybe one more round, not, you know, eight rounds. So, you know, but he got in and, and again, it was quasi entertaining, but an exhibition, you know, the, so the one real fight on the card between Andy Vences and John O'Carroll, that was actually a good entertaining fight, you know, two uh, sort of second tier contenders in the 130 pound division, but both, you know, still with a chance to maybe do something and fight for a title. Uh, they put on a pretty good fight. So I, I'll give him credit for a nice matchup there. Uh, you know, Ortiz Silva exhibition, you know, I was part of a preview show about the event on fight uh, that, that we taped when we still thought it was, uh, we originally thought it was the De La Hoya fight. It changed, switched to Holyfield. So we did that on short notice. Um, but all of the guys that were on the panel, uh, myself and, and others, we all said that, that Silva was going to mop up Tito Ortiz. And that's exactly what happened. The sick one punch knockout, but obviously not a competitive fight. And in terms of the main event, you know, we all knew Holyfield shouldn't be fighting at 58. Uh, I thought I thought I was the only guy on the panel that picked Belfort to win. But if you asked me how, I would not have said it was going to be a first round stoppage. Evander uh, not only got knocked down, which is something that didn't happen on a regular basis when he was fighting. You could tell from the first 20 seconds when he took a weird step back when uh, Belfort sort of touched him barely with a jab that his legs were just gone. He had no balance at all. Then he swung wildly with the left hand and fell through the ropes. I mean, and then he got knocked down, and then it was just a matter of time. And Belfort knows this is an exhibition, you know, but went after him. You know, when Roy Jones and Mike Tyson had their exhibition, also a thriller card in the fall of last year, uh, a fight that did huge business, the, the two fighters knew we're going to put on a good show. We're not going to go after each other to get a knockout. We're not going after to hurt each other. And they knew that. That was spoken to them, and they were gentlemen, and they followed the rules, and they put on a fun entertaining show and that was that Belfort you know didn't do that um you know he went all uh you know Drago Apollo Creed on Holyfield and uh you saw what happened I'm glad it's over it was horrendous having Donald Trump provide commentary was even more disgusting and uh you know and and, and the fight did horrible business if that's a silver lining the 150,000 buys I am told between the streaming and the linear television uh which means around a seven and a half million dollar gross not net gross and the purses were way more than that for the card combined, not to mention, you know, a lot of other expenses that went into it. So they lost a lot of money on that event. It serves them right. The Florida Commission allowed a 58-year-old man to get into the ring. Full stop. That was... And, and, and said they supported it as a, as a thriller sent out an, a, a comment, like a statement from their executive director saying that they were okay with it. Now, the fighters ultimately did not accept it as officially a sanctioned fight, but the Florida commission was ready, willing, and able to sanction not only that bout, but the other exhibitions, Fournier, Hay, as well as uh, Silva and Ortiz. And I always had some respect for the Florida commission. I've covered a number of fights in Florida over the years. I've always found them to be forthright. I've always found them to be uh, reasonable and open to talk to the media about different things. Um, they never had any reason to think that they were not like a legit commission. They proved themselves in this event that they're garbage. I agree. Um, if Even if you thought that Holyfield had something left in the tank, which would be an incredible thing to believe as it is, all you had to do was watch that open workout on Wednesday that was on YouTube and see this guy's got nothing. Like he's slow he's he's old he's 58 years old he has now, no business in, in being defense in the of ring. that in defense of that you and i have seen open workouts and fighters you know come before the public not and the like press that prior to a fight. not like that not no, like but that they, they he, often he looked don't, he looked ancient in that i'm not arguing game. the point but i'm saying that that you you can't judge it because guys don't show what they might have in that but when commissions agree to sanction fights like this they watch them privately so for example before Andy Foster and the California Commission agreed to sanction Oscar De La Hoya against Belfort, I guarantee you that members of that commission, experienced boxing people and regulators, went to the gym privately and watched Oscar work out, watched him spar, watched him hit the mitts, watched him do the kinds of things that would allow them to assess his, his ability to be in a boxing match. I believe that is one of the reasons that they re refused to sanction Holyfield Belfort because they were trying to make the fight on such short notice that it would not have allowed the commission to appropriately 
do its due diligence on Evander's condition, not in terms of passing a medical test, but in terms of letting your eyes see in the ring what the man is capable of at that age. Florida uh, obviously did not do that. So I don't, I'm not saying that it was the open work that that, that would have been the difference, but what they needed to do, uh, maybe they did it and they still were willing to sanction I don't know the answer to that, but they would have gone in, in California and, and, and also in a place like Nevada, they would have taken a look at the boxer uh, you know, privately to, to try to assess their condition. Uh, clearly, Evander did not have anything. It was embarrassing. And the, the big thing about it for Evander is he ultimately didn't get hurt. It only lasted, you know, a short period of time, the fight, obviously. And he got paid many, many millions of dollars uh, to, to make him solvent now uh, financially and also for his children. So that's a silver lining. That's a good thing. Evander Holyfield, uh, as great of a legend as he's been in the sport for, uh, you know, 25 years, uh, unfortunately did not have the money that he should have had because he, of his own fault in many respects of how he blew through it when he was making huge amounts of money. And now knowing that this was the last hurrah payday wise, uh, you know, he's got millions of dollars now that he can live comfortably for the rest of his life, as long as he doesn't uh, do this, do the things that he did previously. Um, and well, it one also, thing one, one thing I'd add to that, Dan, let, we'll see if he gets paid, you know, if, you know, no, no, Mike Tyson he, and Roy no, Jones. no, I, I have, I have talked to the Holyfield camp. The money is there. They got paid. Okay. Not an issue. All right. The money was put in escrow before the fight, and the money has been released, and he has his money. Um, oh, good for good for like, but like Holyfield coming out of that unscathed doesn't, you know, somehow validate the Flores decision. No, it doesn't. But what it, what That's it like does a guy. Do, it really is, Dan. It's like a guy drunk getting into a car and making it home. You're like, look, I can drive drunk. It's just because you didn't kill somebody. You're, along you're right. The way. You're right. If there's a silver lining, no matter what Evander's desire is. Be, because the performance was so bad, worse than anybody could have anticipated. You know, even if you thought it was going to be, you know, a dumpster fire, you know, it turned out to be, uh, if, to call it a dumpster fire was an insult to dumpster fires. It, it means that there's really no chance in any real manner for him to have the fight another exhibition uh, and do it against Mike Tyson. No, there's no reason to see that under any circumstances. But that, no was, what they were, that was what they were trying right. to strive towards. If Holyfield looked like Tyson and Tyson looked pretty good when he came back last year, if he looked like Tyson, maybe you could have an exhibition in California between those two guys. But Holyfield should be nowhere near a ring. And Dan, that fight went exactly as I thought it was going to because I knew Vitor Belfort was going to come out with something to prove. If he goes out there and looks spectacular against the Vander Holyfield, it sets himself up for another payday. And that's exactly what Ryan Kavanaugh and Triller are trying to create. I mean, they're out there offering, what, $30 million? Winner take all for Vitor Belfort against Jake Paul? They're making these, they're calling out Canelo? Like, what are we that, doing? That's, that's, all, like, that's all red herring promotional stuff because unless I'm missing something, I don't ever remember there being an authentic winner take all fight. People say no, that all the time, so but it's never true. Nobody's going to no. fight for free. And the way, they can, well, they can, hey, hey, take it back. Hey, hold on, hold on. Shane Mosley apparently did. Shane but it Mosley wasn't. It wasn't by design. It wasn't I like know. winner take all. And by the but way, for, for people, for on... people that don't know that story, people that know that story, Shane Mosley uh, allegedly bet a million dollars on himself against Canelo Alvarez in 2012, a fight that he says he was paid six hundred thousand dollars for. So for getting his ass kicked by Canelo, he effectively had to pay four hundred grand. So I mean, look, when Roy Jones, <laughs> shout out Shane Mosley, when, when, when Roy Jones had his rematch against Bernard Hopkins, the way that that deal was constructed was that Bernard got his guarantee from Golden Boy and a percentage of whatever upside there was. But Roy Jones didn't start to get any money until it reached a certain threshold. And it didn't reach that threshold. So re re reality was that Roy Jones fought for zero against Bernard Hopkins in the rematch and lost in a pretty, uh, you know, uh, clear manner. Um, you know, and they can ask for Belfort against Jake Paul that he can go and rant and rave and say, I want to fight Canelo, blah, blah, blah. Um, given the struggles that Triller has shown, uh, in some of these events, I don't think they have $30 million to spend on that kind of fight. I'm, I'm mystified, Dan. I don't know what their end game is with all this. They took a financial bath on this one. They're going to take another financial bath on Teofimo Lopez against George Campos. They already have taken a bath on that fight with the postponement from June. I, I don't know. I mean, Ryan Kavanaugh's got a lot of money. Triller's got deep pockets. But at some point, you got to look around and be like, we're just burning through hundreds of millions of dollars at this point. Well, call me, call me uh, cynical. I'm not saying this happened, but you say, how could, how could this go on? So let me pose a theory. And I, again, I don't know if this is true. I'm not making accusations. I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. I'm just saying it comes to your mind. If you know that Holyfield Belfort is an exhibition, you market it as a real fight and Belfort, you know, is going to go out there and try to get rid of Holyfield. 
and there's odds posted, maybe there's money bet in all kinds of different places. And they're able to cut their losses by, by laying the action and winning big on Belfort by knockout. I'm just saying it's not, I mean, dirty stuff happens in boxing. So you ask, how is it possible? I just gave you a hypothetical way, not, not, not just Triller, but anybody could do that. And, and I'm not saying it was a fixed fight in the sense that a Holyfield, you know, said, I will lose. And Belfort said, I will do this. It's not like it's scripted the way it would be a WWE match. But again, if you think, if Holyfield thinks it's an exhibition, he's not going to go all out. Now, Belfort knows it's an exhibition contractually, but says, I'm going to go all out. And the company that's involved knows the same thing. You know, you can go out there and you can put a lot of money and you're going to make that back big time. Let me say this. If you... How cynical is that? No, I, I, I get it. I'm just... My, my thing is, if you were out there as a gambler and you put a nickel on a 58-year-old man to win something, you're a dumbass. You're the worst gambler in the history of gambling. 58-year-old men don't win boxing matches against 44-year-old guys that are at or around their weight. It just doesn't happen. I'm sorry. It does not happen. So you're an idiot for betting on Evander Holyfield. I didn't Let me say finish with this, Dan. I, yeah, agreed. Um, Oscar Valdez uh, beats Robeson Kitsekau. Uh Competitive fight. I think Valdez was probably a little mentally drained from everything that had gone on uh, in the week. Stuff that he brought on himself, for the record. Um, he That fight's over. The drug testing stuff with that fight is now over. Does Valdez just move on? Like, is there any further fallout for Oscar Valdez when it comes to testing positive prior to this fight with Conseco? I think he just moves on because, and no, not to belabor this, you know, I've discussed this ad nauseum and written about it. I'm not giving Oscar Valdez a pass. I'm not saying it's good to use or take things that are banned. However, the substance that he took that came back in microscopic amounts compared to what it would normally be if it was uh, an amount that showed evidence of like serious usage was not banned by the place that sanctioned and regulated the fight. So I don't like it, but he was free and clear to box. That's what he did. Won a close fight. You know, Kansakao was now protesting and filing a, you know, uh, you know, asking for, you know, it to be Good overturned or for rematch. Good and that's not that. going anywhere. That's like, that's like umpires calling balls and strikes in a baseball game. Yeah. Um, I, I doubt that a rematch is going to be ordered. I mean, it's possible. So I do think, yes, uh, Oscar Valdez is, is moving on. He will sit and watch what occurs on October 23rd between uh, the WBO 130-pound champion, uh, Jamel Herring, against the interim title holder, Shakur Stevenson. And Oscar would like the winner of that fight. Herring and Shakur would like that to fight Valdez if they win. It's a fight the top rank would like to do. They've said it repeatedly. It's a pretty big fight. You know, uh, if Herring wins, it's interesting. If Shakur wins, maybe it's a little bigger just because of the youth involved. But either way, uh, Oscar Valdez in a unification against the winner of that fight, you know, in uh, it's the biggest fight you can make in the 130 pound weight class. And it's a fight that top rank is ready, willing, and able to do. So yes, Oscar Valdez, uh, goodbye, Robson, Kotsakow, goodbye, drug testing, uh, headaches, and, and move on to the next fight. Yeah, I mean, I said this last week, and it bears repeating. My biggest issue was with the WBC for allowing Valdez to keep his title. They contracted Vada to do this, and when he tests positive for a banned substance per Vada, I don't know why that's not a fairly cut-and-dry case, especially when the WBC, I mean, David Benavidez tested positive for cocaine, which, to my knowledge, is not a performance enhancer. Uh, that uh, gave the WBC license to strip Benavidez. I don't know why they allowed Valdez to keep his title. I mean, they I mean, are the ones. They are the ones, Dan, that brought the WBC that brought Vada into this. Like they yeah. hired them, and when they catch a guy to allow it to be no, allow no consequences, struck me as cynical. A couple things there. Number one, Benavidez, like you mentioned, was stripped, and he wasn't even training for a fight. That's the no. first thing. The second thing is the WBC contracts with Vada to do their clean boxing program. But in the, in the case of Oscar Valdez against Kansakao, uh, they contract with Vada on their own to construct the program the way the top rank does for fights involving their bigger names. And that's guys like Crawford, like Valdez, like Lomachenko, Tiafimo, et cetera. Uh, they, that was not a clean boxing program situation. That was top rank on behalf of the boxers involved contracting with Vada to do a specialized program for that fight, as opposed to the clean boxing program, which does not do a specialized program. That's just the the notion that you could be tested at any time. So in my mind, it raises it even more in the, in terms of the WBC. Uh, again, I respect Mauricio Suleiman. I, I can, you know, I, I talk to him about these issues on a regular basis. 
we don't agree on everything. And I do think the way that maybe they could have so-called split the baby on this is the regulatory body that was overseeing the fight. Oscar Valdez was not in, uh, in violation of their drug testing protocols, whether anybody wants to acknowledge that or believe that or not and cry and moan about it on Twitter, let them do that. But the facts are he did not violate their, the regulatory agents, the bodies. Uh, drug testing protocol. Okay, but then why why did but, the WBC but but the why did WBC punish him? They punished okay, I agree him. Like the, I just said, the that's, the the fence to, here. that's the way to split the baby. The the fight goes forward because he didn't violate the rules of the regulatory body overseeing the fight, but he did violate the rules of the sanctioning body that gave him the title. And the way that these things work is the 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 uh regulation the regulatory body, in this case the tribal commission at uh, Casino del Sol, they control the fight whether a guy can get in the ring. WBC has every right to control the belt. So, yes, they could have, maybe should have stripped Oscar Valdez, and Oscar Valdez still should have been able to fight. Now, whether the fight would have then been taking place if there was no title at stake, I don't know. You'd have to ask top rank uh, and their people about that. But I don't disagree. The fight happened as it should have based on their rules, and it probably shouldn't have been for the WBC title. We agree. they, They released that kind of smarmy, condescending statement like people. I wish people would you know, do their homework before reacting to stuff. That's fine. Like if you, if they truly believed that Oscar Valdez did nothing wrong, they could have just said that, but instead they're taking his sanctioning fee and, and contributing it to the clean boxing program. They're basically to boil it down, making him do community service with them. Like either you do something wrong or you didn't. And they're right. kind of trying to make it seem like it was both. Like on one hand, Fentermine is not a performance enhancer. On the other hand, Oscar Valdez has got to do X, Y, and Z uh, to make up for testing positive for fentermine. I, I don't I, I don't get the, the I don't problems. disagree with that. I don't disagree. The only thing I know for sure is that fentermine taken uh, or tested positive on August 13th is not in violation of water rules for a fight that took place a month later. Period. By the way, by the way, let me just say this like I think I said this on last week's show. There's nobody on earth that takes more supplements than I do. Like I, I read something in the New York times. Like I'm going to buy it. Like I see something on TV. Chances are I'm going to buy it. My medicine cabinet is full of crap. Like stuff that when I go to the doctor's office for my regular uh, physical, my doctor literally laughs at me for the number of things that I'm taking. Not that they're going to hurt me, but like they're not going to really do much for me. You know, it's just, you're just going to basically get, it's going to come out of your body at one way or the other. Um, the fact that Oscar Valdez can't pinpoint how he might have tested positive to me reeks. Like I-, I could tell you everything that I put in my body. I'm not a professional fighter. Like as far as I know, there's no herbal tea that has fentermine in it. As far as I know, there's no vitamins that have fentermine in it. Nobody has. Here, here's the thing. So I don't. I, I agree with that. And what, what Oscar Valdez should have probably done is say, "Yeah, I took fentermine because it wasn't banned out of competition." Yes. Period. Yes. He should have said that. He should have said that. Like at least Canelo had when he tested positive for clenbuterol, you could point and maybe. They, you know, knew this as a good excuse. You could point to clenbuterol being present in Mexican meat. Like, you can say, here's why. Oscar Valdez does not give it any kind of explanation that makes any sense, and that makes me suspect of him in this uh, particular case. That's a fair point. And, uh, I mean, you know, again, I don't, I don't like the I – don't, I didn't like the, right, the reasoning, the way that that was handled. Um, but the end result, I didn't have a problem with the fight occurring based strictly on the fact that the regulatory – agency that oversaw the fight it was allowable by their rules and that's the yeah. only thing what the rules are in new york or nevada or you know wherever london wherever the fight would take place they were it wasn't against the rules in in in, in casino del sol period full stop i mean and people have to understand that now we can have the, the discussions about where they handled it how it really got in the system what the situation was in terms of how the wb should, should have handled it all that's open for discussion. What is not open for discussion is that he was not in violation of the rules of the place where he fought, period. Yeah. Shout out, by the way, to Tim Bradley and Andre Ward for just going after Valdez. Uh, I don't I don't, I don't. don't give them credit for that at all. I thought that was Bush no? League. Yes. No, not at all. And I have tre- huge respect for Bradley and Ward. All-time great fighters. Paul, you know, Ward's already, gonna, you know, already elected to the Hall of Fame. Bradley should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I've, I covered their whole careers, massive respect for them. I feel like to say, I, I don't remember hearing what Ward said, but in terms of Tim Bradley to say, I hope he gets knocked out when you're calling the fight to me is yeah, that, that, that was, that was over the top, but what he, what he, what he said, unacceptable uh, and unprofessional. What he said though, during the broadcast was basically that this fight shouldn't be happening. 
I, that was what I kind of that's fair. Onto. That's different. I, I was no, talking you're right. about the, the knockout thing. That was that was before, and that was, um, yeah, that's a little bit over the top. But to to be on the air on your network, uh, the network that's paying you probably a substantial amount of money, and to say this fight shouldn't be happening, that takes some stones, Dan. It really does. And no, I, Bradley, I don't all the credit in the world that, that that to me is uh, that that that's that's admirable. I have no problem with that. It was. It was Timothy Bradley. So maybe that's what Ward said. And Bradley also Ward, said. No, Ward, criticized, Ward criticized Eddie Reynoso for not being available this week to kind of talk about the fact that first Canelo, now Valdez, two guys tested positive for different substances, not being available. Eddie Reynoso, by the way, tweeted out afterwards, said, I'm available now. I want to keep the focus on the fight and on the fighter. Uh, but, you know, going, I, I, I like the. Yeah, I, I, I'm not glossing over it. I like that part of. of yeah, those are reason. Those are not. I, I'm in terms of those comments from Bradley and Ward. No problem. The one yeah. thing I did take exception was with Bradley saying that the guy should that he not that he should. I hope he gets knocked out in a fight where you are the broadcaster. You're now biased yourself against calling the fight uh, ahead of whatever happens. So um, again, I love Tim Bradley. Uh, I just thought that was a, a real bad move right there. No, I agree. And I, I mean, I learned from Lampley and Max over the years, never predict the outcome of a fight you're calling because it, you know, creates the perception that you're leaning one way or the other. And Bradley took it to another level with that uh, comment about, about that. Uh, Dan, always great to catch up with you, man. Subscribe to Dan's newsletter on Substack. It's Fight Freaks Unite. It's terrific. It comes out every single day. I subscribe. You should as well. Always good to talk, man. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. A little feisty today. I like it. I'm always trying to be feisty. No, on both show, of man. us. Both of oh, us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can... It's good content. All right, man. Hope to see you down the road. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Raphael for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you can download podcasts. And next week, I'm going to try to catch up with Sergio Mora. Manix, I'm a man on the run, and I'm not doing your fucking podcast. We're not doing it, bro. I'm a man on the run. On the run! It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.